Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning again, my church family, and uh, I know it's a very special day in the life of a lovely couple, Timmy and Deepika, and uh, it has been a pleasure dedicating this child uh, whom the Lord has loaned to them. It's not theirs, the Lord has loaned to them. My prayer is that this child would grow up in the ways of the Lord to bring glory to Him. And at the appointed time, and would accept Jesus as the personal Lord and Savior. Now, this does not just happen. It doesn't just happen. The Lord has bestowed the responsibility on the parents. So this is the responsibility of every God-fearing parent. For the very first time, the child is given to the parents. They have absolutely no experience, previous experience of raising a child. When you go to a go to an electronic store, and even if you buy a television, there is a manual that comes with you. But when a child is given, you have absolutely no experience, and there we go, boom, there's a child. So what do you do? How do you raise the child? So they follow the footsteps of their parents or their, their relatives or their friends, and they will try out every possible way to do what they think is right. But do they have solutions to every parental issues in life? The answer is no. Absolutely not. But the Lord has not left us on our own to figure it out. He has given us clear instructions as to how to raise a godly generation. How to raise a godly generation. So this morning, church, we'll be taking a short break on our tour of the Gospel of John, but focus on raising a godly generation. These studies were very personal and very practical to everyone, and this particular subject is very near and dear to me. So at this stage of my life, the greatest joy I have, reflecting back on my journey of life, is certainly not the positions or the ranks that I held in the secular world, nor the academic achievements that I possess, nor the accolades I earned over the years, and is certainly not the places I have traveled nor the people I have got to know. While I am somewhat proud of these, I must tell you my greatest joy is that my children know the Lord and that they are still in my life. That's the greatest joy for me. I can tell you for sure that it did not just happen. It did not just happen. The children are loaned to us, and they are not ours. We are only the stewards, making them and molding them to be good, God-fearing children is entirely up to us. We cannot blame the society. We cannot blame their friends. We are instructed to raise them up, and we cannot expect the others to do it. 
So how do you raise a godly generation? Church, I want you to get this, please. A godly generation can only be raised in a godly home. Can we say that together? A godly generation can only be raised in a godly home. I just want this to register in the minds of every person who is seated here, everyone who is listening online today. So why do I say that? Please come with me, because God is the originator of the family. He is the architect. Look at the creation narrative, please. We read that, as you read through the book of Genesis, we read that the triune God made at the, at the triune being, the man, with body, soul, and spirit, to be his governor on earth, to govern God's world under the authority of his creator. And he spoke of the authority, when he, the purpose when he created. Look at this passage in Genesis 1 to 128. We read the purpose of God. He says, then God blessed them, that's Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over everything. What do we take from this church? God gave his first set of instructions to Adam and Eve, commanding them to be fruitful and multiply. Everybody say fruitful and multiply. Fruitful and multiply and spread out across the globe and filling the earth with their offspring. So whose plan is the children we all have? They are God's. It's not ours. And man was blessed to enjoy by being fruitful and multiply. Man was to have dominion over everything that God created. Then listen, church, it means we, have, we are to have a home that bears godly moral values. With God seated on the throne of our homes. Man was supposed to have a serene, a blissful life. So church, I want you to understand a home is a plan of God. Look at this picture. When God is in the center, he is on the throne, you have good moral values in your home. And the society will come up with good moral values but something went wrong in the Garden of Eden. So you ask, why aren't we enjoying such God-honoring homes today? Come with me. The Lord commanded him to enjoy everything that he created with the exception of one. Look at this passage. He said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. The very thing that God forbade man to do, he did. And he took control of his own life. So God was dethroned. And he was on the throne. The morality of the whole world began to decline with time. We are, we are shaped not by godly values, church, or standards. But by what the world is teaching us. This is how the enemy enticed us into this life. So you ask... What are the factors that influences us today? We, the parents, are so busy pursuing our American dream. Believe it or not. Truth be told, most of us, our purpose of life 
is to stay not only to keep up with the Joneses, but to stay above. To rise above. If the others have a three-bedroom townhouse, let me have a five-bedroom mansion. If someone is driving a Hyundai, let me go and get a Volvo. If someone, I mean, I'm driving a Santa Fe. That's not the reason why I'm saying that. That's the best car, though, trust me. But if your child, if, if, if someone's children are going to public school, my children will go to private school. If they learn to play soccer, they are going to play hockey and basketball, whether they like it or not. All these come with a price. All these come with a price. Justified by saying that we are doing this for our children. There, these are ways beyond our means. So the man and the woman are forced to work 80 hours a week just to keep up with the Joneses. Trust me, the Joneses are not worried about you. But you are working 80 hours a week. Now the children are neglected. They are left with the babysitters. When they call for attention, we bury them with the TVs, the iPads, the iPhones, the tablets, the children feel unloved. They seek love every, elsewhere, and they find in wrong places. Boys find it in drugs, and girls find it in immoral boys. You are chasing after your self-driven dreams at the expense of your child, your spouse, your family, and even your health. Why? Because you want to keep up with the Joneses. So your child grows without any parental guidance, and their culture, their values, their behavior, their priorities, their reasoning are all driven by what they are exposed, not by what we impose on them. Children are like sponges. They absorb every value portrayed in their environment. Once they are absorbed in them, church, listen, it is hard to erase from their system. And some get embedded in their hearts and in their minds. Then they do not know the difference between good and bad. Their true picture comes out when they grow up to be young men and young women. And church, listen, please. Then it is too late. It is too late. So church, today our children are under immense pressure, believe it or not, as they are exposed to matters that are difficult to comprehend. I must tell you this, my wife ordered pizza from a pizza hut. How difficult can it be? And she said, can you go and pick up this pizza from the pizza hut? So in Dundas, in the center of the universe, I went to the pizza hut. I went and parked my car, and right in front of me, I saw this nice building. It's all green, covered with green, and a green door there. I'm thinking, when did Pizza Huts change their appearance? So I opened the door, I walked in. A lady came and said, can I help you, sir? I said, I'm here for pizza. She said, you're in the wrong place. I said, oops, where am I? Cannibus. Thank God you didn't see me. <laughs> you might say, Pastor is coming out of this store. I came out and I, and I saw the pizza hut right next to it. 
Uh, that's a different story. But I just want us, please pay attention to this church. What are our children exposed to in the society today? You and I, when we were growing up, we never, never exposed to these things. We don't understand the pressure that the children are in right now. Let me show you this. Clips, they are taken directly from a published source. Here's a, here's a part. Listen carefully. This is two little children. A school should never disclose a student's gender identity, chosen name, or pronouns to the student's parent or guardian without the student's explicit prayer consent. Wow. This is true regardless of the age of the student, starting from kindergarten. Again, I'm not passing judgment, please. I'm just stating the fact. That's all I'm stating. I'm not taking any political views. Please don't go out and say, pastor is doing all this. Then I saw this. Here's one from our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, says children who, who do not see a pride flag at their schools should know one is flying for them on Parliament Hill. Most of us adults never faced any of these issues when we were in the junior schools. Our exposure was completely different, but our children are not. An author who did his research on things like this, hear me out, on things that make your ch children vulnerable to suicide, has come up with comparison list of godly values and, and moral values. And this chart, excuse me, this chart explains the decline of moral morality from time of creation to date. How it was when God created man and how it is today when man took control of it. Sadly, church, today we, our children, are driven by these declined moral values. Look at them. Godly values, we are driven by commandments, guide by, sorry, divine commandments guide my reality. But today is per personal agenda guides my reality. The image of God defines human, humankind. Humanity creates itself. Feelings have value but don't define truth. Personal feelings define reality. If it feels good, just do it. God decides who and what I am. I chose my own identity. Love for God and others is paramount. Profit and self-interest come first. God's approval matters most. Social approval is all important. So you ask the question, I want to tell you some factors that contributed to the decline of morality in our society are these. Increased crime and violence rates, divorce rates, substance abuse, fornication or compromised lifestyle, sexual identity, sense of entitlement, technological influence, this is a media influence today, and there is lack of accountability. Resulting in what? God being removed from the, leadership, from the headship. God is completely taken out of our homes and man sits on the throne, leading to the rise of ungodly generation. So how do you reverse this? 
How do you reverse this? How do we raise godly children in an environment like this? The only way to do is instead of allowing the environment to dictate the moral values of our homes, our homes must exhibit moral values so that the environment will change. What is an environment? It's your child and my child. That's the environment. Your child is an environment for somebody else. And my child is an environment for you. Our homes must dictate that. We need to rise above the influence of the world. We need to bring God back into our homes. God must come and reign in our homes. And, and we need to add building blocks and building blocks to make our homes far greater and bigger than the environment. That's when you can influence the environment. So this morning I want to give us four building blocks. I've given four building blocks there that will place God on the throne of our homes, enabling us to raise godly generation. If every home can develop godly generation, eventually the environment has got to change. And they will adopt godly values. And it starts with you. It starts with me. So this message, I do hope, will bless every family that is represented here. We'll be focusing on a well-known passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The narrative in Deuteronomy, please understand the context, that's when you will know what it is. Moses is addressing to the children of Israelites on the plains of Moab. They're about to enter the promised land, or I could say about to invade Jericho. The Lord is giving some instructions to Moses, and he's telling Moses, Pass it on to the generation as they enter into the promised land. Let's examine verse number one. Look at this. Now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land you are crossing over to possess. Children, you know the story of the Israelites. They are about to come into the promised land and they are leaving Egypt and they are coming with Moses and God is speaking to the children of Israel through Moses and telling them, here's what you ought to do in your new home, in the new place. So what do you get from this? We see in this passage Moses speaking to the Israelites. Listen, the Lord has given a commandment that I'm supposed to convey to you. I'm only a messenger. You are called to observe this and when you go to your promised land. And look at verse number two. He says that you may fear the Lord. Now Moses is telling what the, what the commandments are. You may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your sons and your grandson. Can you see the generation here? You, your son and your grandson all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. What do you see in this? Moses speaks about three things here. He speaks about reverence. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. That we are to walk with awareness of his glory, his holiness, and his majesty. That's what fearing the Lord means. And then he says, he speaks about the reaction. Because when you fear the Lord, we will obey him. We'll obey him. We'll, we are to build our lives around the dictates and mandates of the word of God. Then he speaks of the reward. Look at the reward here. It ends this way, that your days may be prolonged, that you may live, you may enjoy long life. That is what the NIV version says. 
So God promised Israel when they followed his word, he would bless them and reward them with long, happy, healthy life. Let me pause here. Can I ask you, how many of you would like to have a long, happy, healthy, blissful life? Put your hands up. All of you. It's not complicated. If you are not achieving it, church, the problem is not God. The problem is you. Because these are the promises of God. Look at verse number three now. He says, therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord of God, Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the land of Canaan. What do you see here? Moses speaks about the blessing. When you observe the commandments of God, it will be well with you. You will multiply greatly. What do you mean by multiply greatly? Your son, your grandson, your great-grandson. That's what it simply means. And you'll be in a prosperous land. In other words, you will raise up godly generations. And then he gives some specific key building blocks. Let's look at verse number four. Let's examine the four building blocks. Verse number four. Here, everybody say the word here. There's a reason why I ask you to say that. Can you say it again? Here. here. Say it one more time. Here. here. It says, Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I want you to know this is called the Shema prayer. The Shema gets its name from the first Hebrew word of the prayer, hear or listen, is a translation of the Hebrew word Shema. So ancient Jewish people combined lines from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, what you see here, with other passages of Torah and prayed these words every morning and every evening. When? Every morning. And every evening. That's the instruction of the Lord. Shema. Here. The prayer has been one of the most influential traditions in Jewish history. Functioning both as the Jewish pledge of alliance, allegiance, sorry, allegiance and a hymn of praise. This is what they call to do to receive the blessing. So for us to raise a godly generation, our homes must become a house of prayer. So the first building block in your home, that it becomes a house of prayer. That's what you take from this instruction for a godly home. You ask, Pastor, how do we pray as a family? I have never done it. Start today. Start today. When you pray together as a family, choose one person to say the prayer and ask everyone else to kneel, both heads down in reverence, eyes closed, and listen to what the person, pray, as the person is praying. Teach the other members of your family how to pray. Take turns and praying each, with each other. Encourage the kids to pray at mealtime before they go to sleep. A family that prays together stays together. If the children are small, pray in a way that they will understand. Please don't use any theological terms with them. They will get bored. 
I still remember when I was growing up, my dad is a prayer warrior. He'll get up and early morning at 5 o'clock, he'll be on his knees and he'll be praying. Trust me, his prayers takes about half an hour. And me and my brother and two sisters, we'll all be on our knees and I'm just telling myself, God, ask him to stop. You have heard it. But I, don't, I didn't have the guts to tell my dad because if I say that, I would be six feet under the ground. But my sister had because she was very small. As my brother's father starts to pray, she'll say, Amen. <laughs> she can get out of it. But teach that church. Teach it to your children. Don't make it a big prayer with them so that they can understand. They can come together. Husband and wives must pray together every day in the morning and in the evening. Husband or the father being the spiritual leader, the onus is on you, fathers, to summon family prayer. Lead by example. Lead by example. The evidence of a praying believer is, you know what? I can even ask you to show it right now. It's your knees. If I am to ask you to slip your pants up and show me men and, 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 and women, if you can show your knees, you must have a camel knee. You know what a camel knee is? James, the half-brother of Jesus, was known as a man with camel knees. Why? Because he was on his knees all the time. You, when you see the Lord, you can show him, God, look at my camel knees. So when you pray, these are the benefits you have. A family prayer inspires grateful hearts. A family prayer communicates spiritually. A family prayer builds bonds with one another and God. A family prayer teaches children to seek God first. A family prayer makes faith a priority. A family prayer builds a legacy of answered prayers. Pray with them before they leave the house. Pray before they go to bed. Pray when they get up. Pray when they go out. Church, I'm not saying, I'm not elevating myself, please don't get me wrong, but I'm not saying anything that I've not done. My children are the witness. Pray, please pray. But there's one thing that would hinder your prayers. The scripture says very clearly, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not, not have listened. So when you come for prayers, you should make sure that you are right with God. You are right with God. Settle matters before you come on your knees. Just because you can't settle matters, that doesn't give you the, give you the, give you the opportunity or, or, or the ticket to go to sleep without praying. Let no one go to sleep with unresolved conflicts, with anger and bitterness, and do not say, let us sleep on it, because when you say you are going to sleep on a problem, the whole night is a playground for the devil. And you'll be drifted away. And one more warning to the fathers and to the husbands. This is pretty scary, fathers. Sometimes you ask the question, why is my prayer not heard? Look at this. Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Read the last part with me. So that nothing 
will hinder your prayers. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. You are not treating your wife properly. You are not having the right relationship with your wife. No matter how, you, how much you go on your knees and cry out to the Lord, the Lord is not going to hear your prayers. Why is it husbands? Because you are the spiritual leader of the house. You are the one who set the thermostat. You set the standard. How do you treat your wife? Church, please note the greatest gift. Listen to me very carefully, husbands and, and men who are going to get married or men who are married. The greatest gift that you can give to your children is the love that you shower on your wives. Can I say that again? The greatest gift you men can give to your children is not the cars, is not the buildings, is not the toys. None of those things, all those things will perish. The greatest gift that you can give is the love that you show, shower on your wives. I still remember on my 25th wedding anniversary, that's what my son told me. That the best gift that you gave to me and to my sister is the love that you have for our mom. When the children witness it, it gives them confidence, it gives them security, it gives them courage. Most importantly, it pleases the Lord. He hears your prayers. So this is how we are to come to the Lord in prayer. So this is the first building block. The second building block, let's go on to verse, same verse again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So we love our God with all our heart means we love him. Listen, church, very carefully. We love him exclusively. Him and him alone. That's what it means. You know, how do we know that we love the Lord exclusively? Your calendar and your checkbook will tell you. Look at how busy you are. It's seen in your priorities. If you love somebody, you want to spend all the time with him. Your attendance to church will tell you. Your attendance to prayer meetings will tell you. Your ministry involvement will tell you. When you cheerfully give to the Lord, it will tell you how much you love the Lord. Secondly, when you love the Lord, with all our soul means, we find our satisfaction in him more than anything any other person or any other, any other thing. It's to be engaged in the things of God. It's to be involved with the people of God. To belong for gospel music, longing for gospel music. Then what does it mean to be loving God with your mind, all your mind? It means when you make decisions to obey his every command. How do you make your decisions in life? How do you make your decision choosing your partner? Raising your children, de deciding on your future plans, buying a new home. Are they in line with the commands of God? Or are they done in the flesh? Now, loving the Lord with all your strength means this. When we persevere in the face of every trials, what happens when you face a roadblock? Your, hate, your health fails. You are in financial crisis. You are in relational struggle. You are struggling with your besetting sins. How do you approach those crises? You seek a godly counsel. Come to the Lord. 
or are you running after people and mammon money? How are you loving God today? Our house ought to be the house of love. For us to raise a godly generation. So it's not only a house of prayer, it must be the house of love. Church, hear me out. As we firm up our houses, the influence from outside will slowly diminish. You begin to influence the world now. Thirdly, let's read the second last part, six and six to nine. Moses is still telling, talking to the children of Israel, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Look at the responsibilities, church. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I want you to look at verse number 8 here. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. What is Moses talking about here? Let me show you how the children of God complied with this command of God. Look at this picture. Here's a picture of a Jewish person wearing teflin. Traditionally, teflin are worn during weekday morning prayers. The teflin that they are wearing... They consist of two small leather boxes attached to the leather straps. The two boxes each contain four sections of Torah inscribed on parchment. Placed on the arm opposite the heart. It's on the left hand. Can you see that? It's on the left hand. Signify the submission of one's mind, heart, and action to the Lord Almighty, as well as the rule of intellect over emotions. What do we get from this? To raise a godly generation, we need to keep the word in our heart. We have to keep the word in our heart. What does the word do to families, you ask? Look at this passage. And most of you know this. Sorry. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. You know, nowadays when you get onto the highways or roads, we are depending on the GPS, isn't it? Thank God for GPS. Our GPS for life, journey, is the Word of God. That's what this says. Before GPS was ever invented, the Lord said, my word. My word is all you need. And you know, not only that, when you... Study the word of God in the house. What does it do? Look at the second passage. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So the benefits of family devotion is that number one is that you acknowledge that God is the center of your home. Joshua, pastor, led us earlier in the prayers, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Having family devotion together at home shows that God is the center of your home, and you and your family depend on Him. This makes the children realize that making time for God should be priority in their life. Secondly, the benefits of family devotion, because children will not do it on their own. We have to instill in them 
The Bible says to train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Unless you start with him, children will hardly pick up such a habit. Little children cannot read, and they learn as you read. How many of you parents are reading this to the little children? I encourage Timmy and Deepika, start now. Read the Bible. They will absorb it because the sponge that they have. And one fine day, it will all come out. They will pay the way for personal devotion when they grow up. And not only that, it promotes, it promotes good character development in children. There are great lessons. They will know how to behave, how to react in every situation. Because the scripture will serve as a guideline. And not only that, it provides comfort and encouragement. Because throughout the scriptures, you will see men of God who have gone through difficulties, how they were comforted and how they were encouraged. As you read the word, it will encourage the children to rely on the word. So the third building block for your home should be your home must be a house of teaching. And as you gradually build these things, church, you will see that you will begin, begin to influence the environment. The influence of the environment begin to dim, diminish. Then leads me to the last building block. And that we see in verses 17 to 18. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God. His testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, that you may go in, the, in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. See the benefits of this particular passage, the promise that the Lord has given to us. You are called to keep the commandments. You are called to obey. So the fourth one that we have is the house of obedience the benefits of obedience let me show you church it demonstrates our love to Jesus what did Jesus say we studied that if you love me keep my commandments if you love the Lord you keep his commandments it's also an act of worship it's an act of worship Paul writes I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all of all he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice. This is truly the way to worship him. You want to worship him? You obey. And then when you obey, see the third one, God rewards obedience. In Exodus we see this, now you will obey me and keep my commandments covenant and you will be my own special treasure from among, among all the peoples on the earth. Wow! Imagine yourself teach, uh, church. When you obey him, the Lord is telling you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. And fourthly, Obedience demonstrates our faith. When we obey God, we are telling him, we are trusting in you. My dad used to say, comply and complain. I didn't ever like it. It means that just zip your mouth and do it. And I believe that's what we need to do with the Lord. Because his promises are yes and amen. 
And the last one, church, is that when you disobey God, disobedience leads to sin and death. And we see that in the scriptures where it says the disobedience of Adam brought sin and death into the world. When you disobey, that leads you to sin and death. So the fourth block to place the house of man, the house of obedience. This is how you can raise a godly generation. So homes are not only a house of prayer, a house of love, and a house of teaching. It becomes a house of obedience. Now see, the man is removed from the throne. He is no longer on the throne. The sovereign Lord takes charge, creating an environment to raise a godly generation, diminishing the influences of the world. Now the environment will not influence you. You will be influencing the environment. Imagine every family can do this. Won't we have a better environment? Absolutely, yes. It starts with you. My question, church, today, will you commit to it? May I remind you, it's far easier to build a child than to repair an adult. Can I say that again? It's easier to build a child than to repair an adult. So you young families, I see a lot of young families here. I hope this message will cause you to build your home, as you can see on the, on the screen. Your home should be a house of prayer, a house of love, a house of teaching, a house of obedience. May the Lord help us to do everything in our, in our power and to be the best parents we can be to his praise and glory. Just ask one question, please. When my child grows up, if he turns out to me just like me, will I be happy? Absolutely not. Because you know your weaknesses. You know your wickedness. You know all the hidden closets that you have in your heart. You don't want your child to be like you. You want your child to be like what God wants him to be. Church, some parents actually need to apologize to their children for living contradictory lives before them. Can I challenge the parents this morning? I'm sure children are watching and listening as well. If you are convicted of this message, when you go home, speak to your spouse. Speak to your children. Call for a family prayer this evening. It's never too late. Apologize to them for living a contradictory life. Promise to make a change, starting today, trusting in Him. The Lord is the Lord of restoration. Amen. He is the God of restoration. You laid the foundation today to raise a godly generation, not only with your children, your children and children's children. Then on the day that the Lord, you meet the Lord, Trust me, we are all going to meet the Lord. 
he will look at you and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. No matter how much you have failed in life. Oh boy, pastor, wish I had learned this, heard this message when I got married. You are hearing it today. And I plead with you. It's not complicated. When God created, he said it is good. We made a mess. We blame it on him. Oh, where is God now? He's still on the throne. Not in your own home. Bring him back. Bring him back today. Enjoy it. Because he means the best for you. Can I ask all of you to rise as the worship team come, please? Please stand. Church, this morning as we, as we are about to pray before we sing, I just want to encourage all of you here. Most of you I know, I know, some of you I don't. And I will soon know at the fellowship because you are not leaving without shaking my hands. They won't let you go out. Now, if you think as a result of hearing this message, I need some help. I need some help. Because the, the, the difficulty for us is to admit that we need help. Because we are mature people. We are worried about our image. If you need help, please talk to me. Please talk to the pastor. Please talk to one of the elders. We are here to help you. We are here to pray with you. We are here to walk with you. That means a lot to us. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Father, even just to witness the dedication of this precious child whom you loaned to our dear children, Timmy and Deepika. We recognize that is something that you have loaned to them with the responsibility to raise him up as a godly child. And we heard this morning, Master, how to raise godly generations. And we can say that many of us here have fallen short of that expectation. But we realize that when we can truly admit and come to you, you are a God of restoration. So just pray in Jesus' name that every individual have come into the sanctuary today and every person heard this message on, online today. They're going to spend some family time tonight. They're going to confess their shortcomings with their spouse and their children. And they're going to start the, the foundation in making that a house of God by laying the foundation as a house of prayer. I pray, Father, that you'll allow us to happen. I pray that you'll encourage us to be the man and the woman that you want us to be. Because there will come a day, Father, that we are answerable to how the children are growing up in this environment. So help us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.